I'm Joe Wilkins, I'm the Head of Campaigns at UK for Nature and also the Conventions and Policy Officer at Reserve of the Youth Land Trust. So I'm here with both those organisations now. Well I think it was what, two weeks or so ago we met at uh, the Waterline Live up in the, the, the Humber and here you are at the, the, the COP. Uh, uh, I mean what's your first impressions of uh, COP26 here in Glasgow? Oh, it's been it's been an insane couple of days. I only came up a few days ago, and it feels like I've been up here for about a month. It's been slightly overwhelming. The whole, you know, the security presence, the, the just the events that are going on everywhere. You know, you can't turn a corner without being in a climate change themed event, and so it's just been a little bit overwhelming. And I am quite excited to go home and have a rest and let it all sink in a little bit. It's yeah. been can't explain it really. It's it's something I think. I've only really ever felt that, you know, going to watch like live sport, it's that sort of atmosphere. There's been a real buzz to the city and I hope it's a little bit of momentum for the movement as well. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, we've had a number of marches. I know you took part yesterday. Yeah. I guess that must have been like being at the stands of the it, match, was it? it? It was incredible. There was drums, there was music, there was chants. You know, it, it was... A, I was actually, you know, feeling really like powerful because you're part of this thing and I didn't realize you know there was a hundred thousand people taking part in that march and we, it took us a few hours to walk a couple of hundred meters because everything was just so you know there's groups there was people chatting it was it was really great and got to bump into loads of people I've only spoken to over zoom and it, it was the fact also you know there was these blocks in the climate march so each you could go with like groups that were working on similar things to you so I was in the nature and biodiversity block and that was great because I got to meet loads of fellow nature lovers and you know we're trying to give a voice to nature to make sure that's not forgotten about in these discussions um, which was quite apt because yesterday was nature day as well at the COP event itself so it felt really appropriate and very great and I hope people were listening and taking note of what we were saying. So what was I don't know what was the mood what was the feeling you got from that in your block in the in, in, in the march in I can't you know I can't speak for all the others but in the nature block it was just a feeling of being fed up really fed up with first of all nature you know just being forgotten about in the conversation everyone talks about carbon emissions and you know carbon dioxide but we I definitely feel that nature's left out so that was that feeling of sort of like you know, why aren't we having this discussion but also there was just a feeling of hope you just a bit of despair there was a little bit of despair to be honest you know people just being like please we're telling you this the science says this why aren't you listening you know some of the chants were pointing that out with things like it's only when Westminster's under the ocean will they start to take notice so that feeling of we know this is happening but why aren't you actually taking action but then on the flip side it was just a feeling of hope you know that feeling of we're all here in our block there was you know several thousand people and that feeling of you know we're all coming together and I happened to bump in from someone from my hometown that I didn't know was coming up which was an incredible feeling but also meeting people from around the world from around the country that feeling of yes it we need to change and yes we're fed up but also look at this you know look at this movement of signs coming together look at this movement of young people old people you know people from different parts of the country all coming together to, to well to 
say we need action and I felt like that was action in itself then I know people will say what's the point in these protests and what's the point in these actions but being there and having that feeling you know it it's, can't be underestimated how great that feeling is and how I think it'll serve now as a boost for the movement going forward I think we're all running out of energy a little bit with zoom and teams so a real rejuvenation I'm, I'm hoping mm. I think so so what's the task ahead is it now to I don't know galvanize consolidate this 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 pressure this unity uh, to, to, to you know keep the pressure on the policymakers the yeah. decision makers to deliver to do more to go further to go faster yeah I think you know like I said I'm hoping this is just the, the start again you know we've been doing it through the pandemic we've well, people have been doing it for years but you know the pandemic gave us a chance to sort of adjust how we work and I think it's in a way the pandemic did open up a lot of opportunities to people that wouldn't have been able to get as involved you know they've had a chance to read the news they've had a chance to catch up on social media which can be a bit of a catch-22 situation but I think people are now more aware of what's going on and I think you know being there yesterday and seeing over these last few days I think the policymakers it it's they can't ignore it any longer I think if they don't take a hundred thousand people on the streets of Glasgow plus all the others that were going on around the country if they don't take that as a sign that people care then you know it's maybe this time for new leadership so that sort of feeling of I don't think they can ignore it any longer it's no longer on the side it's environmentalism is no longer you know a fringe thing it's now you know in the center of most people's discussions you know look at COP26 even if people aren't aware of climate change negotiations they've heard of COP26 and they've heard of what's going on in Glasgow so I think it will be a real starting point to pressure them and say you know you've had these two weeks to come together what I'm hearing so far is a lot of empty promises and a lot of big statements with little backing to it it's just like yes we will protect the forest but what does that look like in terms of policy so there is there's more to go but there's some promising signs from within the blue zone but I think they need a lot more and should take you know take a lesson from the people outside on the streets that this is what really needs to be done it's it's serious action it's no longer just skirting around these issues they need to be challenged head-on I know you know you came to the Humber you've seen what the Humber's like in terms of its huge natural mm. resources in in, in, in a, a positive sense uh, yeah, an area also threatened by yeah. uh, cl climate change um, so I guess you can see the, the 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 reason why it's so motivated behind all of this yeah well you know coming to Hull I, one of the first things I said to the direct, uh, the organizers of the event were it's so flat here like it's it is you know coming from Wales where there's hills everywhere it was a very strange sort of this is very flat and obviously with the estuary I went down to Spurn and like I was like, if the sea rises as you know a couple of inches couple of feet there's a huge swathe of land gone there so that was a thing and I can see now why the Humber region and it was I loved coming to the Humber region and to that event specifically to see all the schools all the you know the flood pip from the flood innovation center all coming together and talking about climate change and talking about not just the problems but also you know how how can we adapt to these issues and how can we work with them you know we're not i think one of the strap lines you know is the greatest threat is our greatest opportunity you know maybe i don't 
you know, not quite agree with phrasing it like an opportunity, but I, I understand the sort of sentiment of it's our now as our chance to adapt. You know, we can make the most of this. We can use the fact that we have water to create renewable energy. We can use, you know, there's, so there's lots to be held from that. And I think lots of regions around the UK could learn from the Humber and that sort of feeling of this is a problem and we're going to come together to work out a solution that includes businesses, that includes education that includes health you know it's a real it was great it was i was very impressed by it and i think i'd like to see it in my hometown a bit more as well it's interesting also talking to a combination here of scientists who who work uh with nature with the environment uh and talking also to a lot of indigenous yeah. people it's very humbling mm. talking to all these people who come particularly from south america and the, the sort of sense i got was you know um not, not the full answer, obviously, we've got to stop polluting, but that, you know, nature has a lot of the answers if we only work with it rather than against it. Well, this is, you know, it, it's, you know, when we talk about carbon capture technology, they're like, oh, we've just invented this new technology that captures carbon dioxide directly from the air. And then you take a step back and you go, you mean like a tree or like a plant? And, you know, it's, I appreciate the sort of innovation, but I think we always, especially in this country and a lot of the global north, we want like a business we want like technology we never want to just take a step back and say well what have we already got that can work and you know we're saying that we want to cut you know capture carbon but then we're also cutting down trees and it don't the two ends of the spectrum don't quite add up and you know i've been very fortunate at cop but also in my like volunteering to talk to many indigenous communities from around the world and the way they live is just so much more in harmony with the world around them but then we somehow think that we're the more you know, we're like the developed countries and stuff, but the way we live isn't sustainable. So it's it's an interesting one, and I think it's very humbling to talk to them because a lot of these communities are on the front lines. You know, we we talk about climate change in this country, and we talk, but we are very fortunate that we have got the resources to overcome it. You know, we have got the resources to build flood defences if if we need to. We have got the resources to research these things, but a lot of these communities are on the front line today and it's affecting not only you know their their way of life but just their lives in general you know it's life or death for many of these people around the world and I, I listened to someone talking yesterday and we're, we're very fortunate that you know I can go home now after this and relax and in relative safety but for some people leaving this cop it, it's they don't have that luxury and it's a very it's a privilege to be able to leave here and go well I'm home now I can lock the door and forget about it but some people are going home to, to climate change, to biodiversity um, destruction, to you know life or death situations, and I think we all need to remember that when we're discussing, you know, the climate change in 2050, it's it's now for many people, and I, I don't think we should forget that. Mm. I, I know. I mean, coming from the the Humber region, which is so low lying, you know, we are literally on the waterline. But when you speak to people here who have come from all over the world to COP26, who live on such low-lying mm. islands or shorelines, they know that no matter what we do, sea level is rising, yeah. and their home will be gone no matter what we do. I know, and it's, it's startling because, and they're still here fighting for, you know, like you said, we know it's, their houses probably unfortunately are going to be lost because First of all, we're facing sea level rise, but many of these islands are based on sort of coral reefs, which are, because of ocean acidification, are dissolving. And, you know, it's why we can't tackle these problems 
individually there's lots of these different impacts coming together but you know it, you've got to take inspiration they're still coming here to try and make a difference to call on world leaders who can go back to their palaces and residences you know and go oh that was a great conference but for, for many people it, it will be too late and you know we've heard some commitments of funding to help people migrate or to help people adapt to the situation but it's it's a little case of it could be too late and I definitely think it is still too little you know we're a couple of years ago we had the big commitment for a hundred billion pounds for this and today we've heard something about 1.7 billion and whilst money is great it's nowhere on the scale of what was being pledged and I think there's a long way to go in that respect as well so it's all good this conference and it's you know the promises that are made but when it gets down to the nitty-gritty it's quite often lacking in money quite often lacking in like logistics it's it's just lacking so it's it's a bit of an empty promise at this point so I really hope you know I live right on the seafront as well and my house is at sea level and even in rec just recent days we had some absolutely awful weather and the sea was coming over but lucky there is sort of a sea mound in, not a sea mound a sea wall in front of it but soon that will be overcome as well so it's it's we've got to learn how to live with these situations but also how can we help those who haven't got the resources to, to adapt or to mitigate and quite often it's things imposed by the developed nations actually are preventing these ones from from adapting and it's it's the case of those least responsible are facing the greatest consequences so, so when do you head back home heading back home tomorrow actually so um i am looking forward to going to bed and having a few days rest because it has been like i said it's been incredible the, the buzz the the atmosphere it's, it's been quite a roller coaster of emotions you know it's there's times where you felt really heartbroken there's times where you felt real hope it's because i think that's the nature of this these discussions isn't it we hear one thing and it sounds great but then going going back to there's it's still nothing concrete it's still very much we will you know assist indigenous communities but there's still no nothing behind it and i think also this this cop in particular and I, because of the issues with covid and the pandemic it has made it a very difficult Pan, um, very difficult conference to attend for many people from around the world you know it is a very global north heavy delegation it's a very white heavy you know it's it's very it has been quite inaccessible even to those invited you know there's been very little support to get people here you know you're invited but then if you can't match the funding then it's there's no support there so I'm hoping that this is will just be the start and there'll be discussions about how can we bring in those communities that weren't represented you know we were on been in discussions on youth day and a lot of the panels were consisting of people far older than youth and not to say that that intergenerational discussion is not important but if youth aren't actually in the spaces that are given to youth then what chance of youth of getting into the other spaces so there's there's a lot of issues with this cop um and I, I hope those are addressed in the coming weeks and coming months. You know, I, I understand the logistics of it, but I think a lot needs to be done now to correct that and get different voices in and get different people from around the world, different perspectives from you know scientists, bringing in other fields as well. So there's a lot of post-COP work to do, and I'm looking forward to seeing how things develop. You know, in the towards the end of 2021, but also 2022, where we've got. The, the CBD COP happening in China, we've got hopefully the High Seas Treaty being signed in August. There's a lot going on that I think, I just hope the pandemic is accounted for and those voices that can't make it in person are given routes to get, to get in.
So when, when you head home, what, what's, I don't know, the most lasting impression, the, the thing that will stand out for you most from this whole experience? Oh, that's a question. I, um, so yeah, I was very fortunate to get into the Blue Zone on Friday and that was you know, an experience because I got to meet all these incredible delegates. You got to meet, you know, ministers and stuff from around the world. Got to meet one of my personal heroes, Sylvia Earle. That was, I was a bit starstruck. Um, but I think what really stuck to me was that climate march yesterday. It, it, to me, was everything that being inside the blue zone wasn't. It was that feeling of real passion and urgency. I think the blue zone was great, but it, it just lacked that sort of oomph that I think that climate march gave me. You know, I left that march yesterday feeling heart pounding, you know, heart just on your sleeve sort of thing. And I think that for me is what will stick with me. And I think, you know, just watching all these different groups from indigenous communities, you know, nature lovers, climate justice, all these different political groups coming together, putting aside differences in many instances to say, look, we need a solution now. That's what will stick with me the most of this whole experience. Well, Joe, thanks very much for sharing your impressions of COP26 and the links back to the Waterline Live. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers.